I liked his accent. Yes. It reminded me of uh, David Tennant, you know, uh, Barty Crouch Jr. and Goblet of Fire. Yes, yes. Hello, yeah. father. I didn't think <laughs> about that. That's the one quote I was thinking of the whole time, and his <laughs> facial structure is sort of similar to David Tennant. Welcome to episode 91 of the Movie Bite Podcast, a show all about movies, movie reviews, movie news, trailers, and more. We're recording on Tuesday, June the 3rd, 2014. I'm TJ, your host, and joining me today, he's back from the dead. Yes, he's really here, folks. He's really back. It's Chad Hopkins. Hey, TJ. How are you, Chad? Long time no listen. Yeah, it's been busy. You know, you'd think... Finishing school would make me more open, but it, it really hasn't. Well, I mean, one would assume. I, I, I just figured you didn't love us anymore, is what it was. Uh, no, that's not it. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, you know, you never know. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, there was a big Apple event this week. I'm kind of behind on my work because I, I have uh, what we call flex hours. Um, so I can put in uh, 40, as long as I put in 40 hours a week, I can put in any 40 hours within reason. And okay. so a coworker and, and me took, uh, took, two hours off of work uh to watch the apple keynote that was fun uh you probably saw you know all my tweets and retweets which flooded flooded your timeline pretty much everything i've read about it so far came from you so i appreciate that because there's (laughs) some pretty cool stuff i'm glad somebody appreciated i should have i should have warned people like the day before you know you might want to mute me (laughs) tomorrow at noon because uh this is my like one time a year when i retweet violently and 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 tweet my own thoughts too so yeah and instead you warned people after you've been tweeting for two hours yeah i know (laughs) i didn't think about it before but i got several i got a couple of folks at the office who didn't take off of work to to watch the apple keynote because they're not crazy like me uh, you know, they're like, hey, so, um, yeah, you kind of flooded my Twitter. <laughs> it's like, well, this is me. This is who I am. So follow me at TJ Draper Pro. So there you go. <laughs> so that that was kind of how my week has started off. Uh, so you, you uh, I will, I will talk about this in a minute. Actually, did I put it in the show? Yeah, I did. Okay, we'll talk about it in a minute. So let, let's go ahead and dive into some items of interest here. Okay. And first thing up is uh, Star Wars, because uh, I don't know if you heard, Chad. You, you may not have heard this. If you heard, they're going to make a new Star Wars movie. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold the phone. <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> yeah, so we're probably going to talk about this anytime it comes up, uh, obviously. So just uh, they're, they're making the Millennium Falcon. They're recreating the Millennium Falcon. Did you read they this? I, I saw it. Yeah, the, the website I linked to, I... I, I I thought about it after I'm like, and I said, I thought TMZ, that, that sounds like a kind of a look and I kind of looked around on the site and like, nah, I hope my readers don't click around on that too much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're, they're pretty, uh, what, what, uh, what shall you say? A, um, kind of a sleazy site in, in ways, yeah. in some ways. But I mean, this article was pretty clean. Uh, they had, you know, pictures of the set of that they're building of the Millennium Falcon and, and they had a comparison photo to the Millennium Falcon from episode five, uh, four, a new hope. Uh, you know, so it's very obvious that they're building the Millennium Falcon. And, uh, yeah. this is just, uh, really cool because I, you know, I don't know that I ever thought we would see the Millennium Falcon in a movie again. Yeah. I'm pretty <laughs> excited. This is pretty cool. It's a great photo. Yes, it is. And, uh, yeah, I mean, and you know what else is really cool about this, Chad, is that J.J. is, you know, like, like um, uh, George Lucas would not have built this physical set. He would have, like, you know, put them on a blue screen and, and they would have had to act against nothing. And then they would have CGI'd the ship. And, and it's really great to see J.J. Uh, really, you know, who's, who's known for his flashy effects, really going, though, for the practical sets. Yeah, for sure. 
you know, we got a couple of weeks ago, I think we talked about the um, the aliens and stuff that, you know, we saw in that video that JJ put out that were actual physical aliens and not CGI uh-huh. things. And yeah, I'm just, I'm really excited to see this, um, especially because, you know, I have, I do approach all new Star Wars with some bit of, of uh, skepticism and trepidation after, after the unleashing, <laughs> the, the unleashing the of the, the prequels. Yes. Uh, and, and, <laughs> you know, I, I just, I'm really happy to see this. Um, yeah. I mean, it just really shows that I think they're, they're trying to pay attention to what the fans have said and their complaints to the prequels and I think one of the major complaints to the prequels and to the re-releases of the original trilogy is too much CGI so the fact that they are going for more practical sets is just really reassuring for the picture as a whole I think absolutely and yeah I mean it, it, just the fact that they're even building the Millennium Falcon, I mean, because there was some question, you know, like this is like going to be what thirty years later? Is that hunk of junk, you know, that fastest hunk of junk in the galaxy? Will that <laughs> thing still even be in operation? And so, I hope it's, I hope it's kind of, uh, you know, Star Wars has never had a very clean uh, feel in regards to its ships, at least the first three, the the uh-huh. the original three. I, you can't say first. Oh, this 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 thing is so messed up. So the 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 first three that were made, the ships always felt, you know, especially like the Rebel Alliance ships, always felt very dirty and you know. Kind Kind of, kind of just barely held together with duct tape and bailing twine, and and you know not not very much as I'm a Star Trek fan, it much more gritty and realistic, I think, uh, to the real world than uh, than Star Trek ships, you know. Right. And so I, I see that JJ is kind of bringing this back to the franchise, which was kind of lost in the in the prequels. Which you can, I suppose, on one level, you can understand that because in the prequels. It was, you know, the, the Republic was still in existence. There was no, as far as they knew, uh, for a little while, there was no uh, Sith Lords, you know, ruling the universe. So they weren't have to, you know, so there, there was no Rebel Alliance. The one thing that I'm noticing in this picture as I'm looking at it here, Chad, is that there's like a, they've built it to where there's like a panel missing on the underside of the bridge. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just so it definitely looks like they're going, I mean, because Millennium Falcon was always a little rickety and I think they're going even more rickety perhaps in, in the build. I mean, it, which would make sense. It's been 30 years, so. Yeah. Um yeah, I'm 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 extremely excited about this. Uh and and you know, I I I rarely gravitate towards set photos. I'm just sort of like, meh, who cares? But but these yeah. are different. <laughs> these are different. So anyway, very exciting, very exciting. Uh additionally, we have some casting news on the Star Wars front. So, uh, Lupita Nyong'o, who um, I've only seen in a very, you know, bit role. You've seen her in a movie that we were supposed to talk about and never did, which is 12 Years a Slave. Yes. Um, and I uh, hear good things about her. I hear she's really good. Uh, yeah, she's she, fantastic in that. It's hard to watch, but it's uh, she does a great job. Yeah, and she won the Best Supporting Actress Oscar for that role as well. So, Lupita Nyong'o and uh, Gwendolyn Christie, who I am not familiar with, but is apparently in Game of Thrones. The, both of these have been added to the cast. Um, th- there was some criticism leveled uh, at the initial casting news that there really was only one female cast member and not a lot of color. And, and uh, you know, there was some criticism leveled. And I'm like, guys, is it the first wave of casting, first of all? And, and you know, so, it, it you know, as people, I've seen a little bit of Twitter twitter <laughs> i've seen a little <laughs> bit of uh of uh chatter on the twitter um uh, uh and, and elsewhere that uh this is a direct response to that it's like well do you really think that they rewrote those roles so that they could be cast as women and 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 uh you know as a, especially like with lapita nyong'o as a black woman and this sort of thing i mean no i think this was always in the cards i don't know what do you think yeah well i think i recall there being a rumor a long way back before the casting was announced that lupita would be part of this yeah, Wasn't I did too. there a news story? There, I don't. Yeah, I don't remember it. I may, may or may not have posted. I, I, I have vague recollection of it. I, you might be right. 
Um, so. Here, I'm. there's an article that I just found on Hypable from back in March, and it said, rumor, Star Wars Episode Seven close to casting Oscar winner Lupita Nyong'o. So yes, this has been around for a few months. Paste that into the show outline if you don't mind. Will do. And I'll make sure that gets in the show notes. Show notes for this episode, by the way, will be at moviebyte.com slash podcast slash 91. Can you believe we've done 91 of these? Or, well, this the show has had 91. Right. Uh, That's pretty so pretty in- insane. Yeah, no, I think, yeah, it's crazy. Uh, anyway, so, yeah, I'm... Uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm excited to see what's going to happen here, and I'm dis, despite my skepticism of all things Star Wars at this point, I I really am looking forward to this a lot. Me too. Speaking of things to look forward to, um, this this just came up. It came across my n- news desk, you might say. Now, um, <laughs> I, I seem to remember I, that maybe I've already posted about this. I have a vague recollection of it. Once you started talking about this on Facebook, I thought maybe I already posted this news story a while back and it's just resurfaced. I don't remember, but I did post about it. This is uh, Secret Cinema is, is to recreate Hill Valley from Back to the Future in London. Uh, key scenes from Back to the Future will be recreated at a secret location in London this summer for epic screenings of the time travel movie. Organizers, uh, spelled with an S, so you can tell it's British, of the <laughs> next production uh, in the Secret Cinema Presents brand will build the entire town of Hill Valley, California, where teenager Marty McFly, as originally played by Michael J. Fox, embarking on his dramatic journey from 1985 back 30 years to when his parents were young. A time machine... Uh, modeled like that in the film on a DeLorean DMC-12 will be on hand to help transport guests between the different time zones through secret alleys and entrances to the town. And so I wrote that I expected you to be making a trip to London now, knowing, of course, that you were already <laughs> planning such, but I'm, I'm going to maintain that it's because uh, directly related to this. Well, as it turns out, my dates... Okay, so I land in London, I think July 2nd, and I fly out of London july 25th and this starts on july 24th and so i am waking up tomorrow morning early 7 a.m when they go on sale and i'm going to do my darndest to purchase these tickets and fingers crossed i will be going now you've you've done the calculations you're getting up at the right time our time to get the tickets yes it, okay. it the website you, you click through to the page you link to and then at the bottom of that article there's a click through to the actual promotional website and it says they go on sale at thirteen hundred, yeah, thirteen hundred, which is one p.m. and it's a six-hour time difference. So. Yeah, I thought it was seven, but that's uh, it's about right anyway. It's six. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, I don't want to throw you off. <laughs> uh, yeah. So yeah. if anybody in our listenership is is uh, planning a trip to London or wants to get these and go to London, uh, there you go. It's in the show notes, and you can join Chad. Yeah, so. and my family. Yeah. So if you if you see him there, say hi. Yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it's kind of interesting. Um, I, on the one hand, it seems a little cheesy, but come on, it's Back to the Future. <laughs> yeah, and they're you know they're throwing the whole Enchantment Under the Sea dance after the movie and everything. <laughs> they're, they're going the whole nine yards. This is like an, a completely immersive experience, and it's so cool. Wow, that's uh, that's a little crazy. I don't know if I'd be comfortable there to tell you the truth. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I will fit right in. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, you know, whatever. Well, that's the thing, and uh, links in the show notes. It, it does. I, I I would definitely go if I were you know in the in the area. Now yeah. I cannot remember Chad if we mentioned this on last week's podcast with Clark or not. I feel like I might have. Um, let's see when this was posted. May the twenty seventh. I don't. I don't really remember. 
I, my, my, my poor brain. Uh, and I, I, I cannot be bothered. I cannot be bothered to type <laughs> in those characters on the keyboard to find out if this is in the show notes. Uh, but I, w- I wanted to get your take on it anyway. Um, because you're a big Harry Potter fan. I, in fact, I have I a am. feeling maybe we didn't talk about this because I don't know that. Well, no, you, you know what we did. I remember now Clark having this conversation about Alfonso Curon. Um, so Alfonso Curon won't direct Fantastic Beasts and where to find them. Uh, so I won't get your take on this. Speaking to a Spanish news news agency named EFE via Digital Spy, Curon said the following about the rumor. Directing Prisoner of Azkaban was a f- very beautiful experience for me. I have a lot of love for that universe, and I tremendously admire J.K. Rowling. But today, for the present, projects based around the visual effects uh, don't attract me. Uh, a lot of uh, – I missed some words there. Based around lots of visual <laughs> effects don't attract me. I'm coming out of a five-year process of doing visual effects, and now I sort of want to clean my palette of that a little bit. Considering Fantastic Beasts and where to find them will surely be heavy on effects, that pretty much means Caron is out. It doesn't mean he wasn't approached by Warner Brothers, though. That almost certainly did happen, but won't be making the film. And I, I definitely have mixed feelings about this. Uh, but I want to get your take on this, Chad. Now that you're back, now that you're done uh, goofing off and you know, hanging out <laughs> at the beach, and now that you're back, you're back with us, what right? Do you, what do you, <laughs> you know, I uh, I think he would have made a great film. Um, regardless, I, I understand why he's not directing. It doesn't really upset me. It's not like he was my dream director for the role. It, it, I'd have to do some thinking before I could pick that. But uh, yeah, you know, I think. I hope that they're going to find somebody who's just as capable and just as passionate about Harry Potter, at least. Um, but it'd be uh, nice. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he was passionate. It's kind of sad that he's not doing it, but I understand why he's not. And hopefully we'll get somebody who's up to the challenge. Do you know if Yates is involved at all? I don't think so, but uh, I don't know. Let's see. Fantastic. Oops. Beasts and where to find them. 2016. Uh, there's not a lot of information here. Writer J.K. Rowling. Da, 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 da. Status option property. Yeah, I'm just not seeing it. I, I'm just wondering who all was involved. Well, uh, David Yates uh, is directing a new Tarzan film that is coming out in 2016. So he's probably about to start work on that. Yeah, I just didn't know like if he would be producing or anything because he's you know was very close to the franchise for for the last several films and obviously directed everything since, you know, five and onward. Uh, so I just wondered, it, it would be nice to see, you know, cause I know despite my disagreement with him on, on some choices later on in the series, um, I know that he has a lot of love for it and it would you know be interesting to see him still at least involved. But so I, I guess that's what I was kind of looking forward to when I heard the news about Curon is just seeing him come back to the franchise, even though it's, he didn't make my favorite film, just knowing that he had a love for the source material um, and a love for what he did, and he didn't make a bad film by any means uh, with with Harry Potter three. So, yeah, I was I was definitely curious to see what that would look like, and I'm sad to hear that he's not going to be involved. So, yeah. Anyway, that's uh, you know lost uh, lost opportunities and all that stuff. So we'll uh, we'll see what we'll, we will see what develops. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, all right. There's uh, something we got to talk about here that just came up. Uh, posted at 5:38. That's just uh, like an hour, two hours before we started recording. Uh, over at the Hollywood Reporter by Pamela McClintock, uh, Wachowski's Jupiter Ascending has abruptly been bumped from July to February of 2015. 
yeah. So the article reads, at the 11th hour, Lana and Andy Wachowski's sci-fi epic Jupiter Ascending is being pushed back from July 18th to February 6th, 2015. Warner Brothers and Village Roadshow co-financed the $150 million film, uh, which stars Channing Tatum and Mila Kunis. Uh, insiders say the movie needed more special effects work. Still, the movie is a stunning one, considering Jupiter Ascending was to have been released in less than two months. To boot, the February Corridor is one of the quietest of the year, although Hollywood and exhibitors are trying to change that. Mixed buzz likely sparked concern of, on the Warner Brothers lot, where the Wachowski siblings had longtime ties to former film studio chief Jeff uh, Robinov. Uh, they also made the Matrix films for Warner uh, Jupiter Ascending is an ambitious film starring Kunis as a lowly house cleaner who learns she is a galactic princess. This is not good news. Um, <laughs> no. This is really not good news, and it's really disturbing because I was really looking forward to this. It really looked like a great film. No, I, I was really looking forward to Michael Giacchino's score. So Yeah, and, and I was I was looking forward to the story. I know you're you're a music guy, so sure, you know, whatever. Um you and your music, you know. That's not why I meant it, but you know what I mean. Um uh, so I was really looking forward to this. I, I've heard rumblings that it, it like it kind of falters and doesn't really have an ending. Maybe they're, you know, they say it's for the special effects, but maybe they're going to fix that. Um, maybe. I don't know. And, and I can certainly believe it's going to be a very special effects heavy film. I can certainly believe it needs more special effects work, but it's not good news that they moved it to February because that's where films go to die. Yeah. Yeah, that is very true. Uh, yeah, I, I it's just, I, man, I wanted this to be a good film. It's just, you know, I have a tremendous love for the matrix, as you might recall. And, yes. uh, I feel like the Wachowskis just haven't made a film like that since, um, you know, they've tried, uh, they tried to capsule, capture, capsule, whatever, capture <laughs> lightning in a bottle, uh, you know, a second and a third time. And, uh, they, they kind of fail both times. I I'm, I like the trilogy as a whole overall of the Matrix, but uh, they never attain to the first one again. Uh, and yeah. and the second one especially certainly has some problems. In fact, I you know what I did, Chad, with with uh, the second film uh, because it is by far the the worst in terms of <laughs> let's just hang on the special effects scenes with the fighting with agent smith for you know 15 minutes or might have even been 20 i don't remember <laughs> i took uh and ripped my blu-rays uh and edited edited out an entire like almost the entire smith fight sequence in the middle where it's just a whole bunch of cgi agent smiths wow. and I, I really I frankly i mean i found a way to seamlessly edit it and i'm a video editor so what do you know, <laughs> you know what do you say and i so i edited it and uh literally it's seamless and it it flows so much better like you don't have to sit there and is this ever going to be over it's just a bunch of cgi video game characters fighting each other i mean come on it's just dumb anyway yeah. that, that's kind of a sidetrack but uh <laughs> that's the sort of thing that happened after the matrix where we you know the matrix was pitch perfect in my opinion and and they kind of faltered after that you know and then you know then they made cloud atlas which i thought had the possibility to be good and it turns out it was really really bad um <laughs> You know, they, they took the instrument of – what was my analogy? They took the instrument of the sharp axe of, of storytelling and turned it over on its side and bludgeoned me for three hours on the head with it, I think, is something – I said something like that maybe. Oh, that's violent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that was a terrible film, and this looked like the film that I wanted. This looked like the film that I wanted, Chad, and now I'm, now I'm questioning that. Like, they're moving it to February of 2015. This is not a good sign. Well, we can have a little bit of hope because the Le Warner Brothers released the Lego movie in February of this year. This is so, true. This is true. So, I mean, we saw how big a success that was. I don't know if I'm going to put as much hope into 
this as I did into the Lego movie. No. But, uh, but hopefully that's a, a, a decent sign. Well, I mean, then the article did say that, that Hollywood's trying to change the, the fact that February is is the place where films go to die. Uh, that's not the way they said it. That's the way I'm saying it. They're trying to change that. I mean, I'm sure they want to even out their revenue over the year. I, I don't yeah. doubt that. But, it, it, you know, we're coming out of that holiday season uh, where, you know, we just, you know, and it's it's winter and, and it's just for some reason, we as a species, as creatures, as humans, whatever you want to say, just don't go to see movies at that time of the year. And so that's typically where you put the B movies and, and the movies that aren't as good. And I don't know. Sure. I, it's just not, I don't know. Can you explain this phenomenon? I, I just don't know. Uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> it's very strange. Uh, anyway, but that that's typically what happens. So I don't have a lot of faith that this is going to be a good thing. Yeah. Well, don't give up hope. I'll try not to. Again, I mean, I mean, I, I don't. I don't know. That is a lot of time, though. They could completely restructure the movie if that's what what it needed. But I liked what I saw in the trailers. So yeah, mm, bummer. It's such a bummer. Yeah, and you you put that in the show notes too. I'm like, what is? That? I don't even know what's going on here. And I think I oh I typed a rage quit life. <laughs> yeah, and you know this was actually only half an hour ago because uh, that's Pacific time. So oh, that's Pacific time. Okay, wow. Yeah, no wonder it just no wonder I hadn't seen it yet. So oh, yeah, man. It, I I opened up my computer and it was the first thing I saw on Twitter. So yeah, I've already uh, I've already bookmarked this to post as soon as we get done, to schedule for the morning as soon as we get done. Uh, recording this episode it'll it'll be on movie bite in the morning by the time people hear this podcast well no i'll probably post the podcast to schedule the podcast to post first so it'll be out right after this podcast actually on the site oh, that's a bummer yeah i'm sad now how do we even go on how do we go on chad how do we go on we will find a way well thankfully <laughs> thankfully we have what i consider to be at least a somewhat decent movie to review yeah i think so too yeah so let, let's talk about maleficent uh, Maleficent opened in theaters on May the 30th, 2014. It had a budget of, for, for now this is weird, I couldn't find the budget on Box Office Mojo, so I looked it up on IMDb, and I, I don't know if that's reliable or not. I trust Box Office Mojo, but it's weird, Box Office Mojo says budget is not available. But the budget on IMDb says $200 million. That feels like a high number for this film. I didn't realize it was that high. And that being said, it makes me think less of the film because it didn't feel like $200 <laughs> million went into it. Um, so had a budget, according to IMDb, of $200 million. What were you going to say? Wikipedia has it listed as 180 million. So okay. in the ballpark, I don't know though. which one. It's it's somewhere in that, in that window. Yeah, in that range. So opening weekend, it made 69 million domestically. The total gross worldwide is 176.2 million, and I would consider that a decent amount to have raked in for a film like this. Yeah. Uh, although not necessarily at 180 or 200 million dollar budget number, but. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes critical acclaim says that Angelina Jolie's magnetic performance outshines Maleficent's dazzling special effects. Unfortunately, the movie around them fails to justify all that impressive effort. Director was Robert Stromberg, writer uh, Linda Wolverton. Um, it was it was I know it was Robert Stromberg's first outing. I'm, I've never heard of Linda Wolverton before either, so I don't know about her as much. Uh, the film starred Angelina Jolie as Maleficent, Al Fanning as Aurora, Charlotte Copley as Stefan, uh, King Stefan, uh, Leslie Manville as uh, Flittle, Imelda Staunton as Notgrass, and Juno Temple as Thistlewit, Sam Riley as Diaval. Music by James Newton Howard. Did you like the music, Chad? I loved the music. You know, I, I actually bought this score last week, maybe, and I haven't listened to it at all, but I keep seeing on Twitter uh, how great it is, and... Uh, Watching the movie, it, it's such a good score. I'm, I'm excited to sit down and just listen to the music by itself now. 
Yeah, I should point out that uh, Leslie Manville, Amelda Staunton, and Gino Temple, while their names I, I said were Flit, Flittle, uh, not, not Grass, and Thistlewit, they were actually playing Flora, Fauna, and uh, Merriweather. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but, I didn't even remember. Th- See, it's been a while since I've seen Sleeping Oh, Beauty. me too, but I remember the names of the fairies. Come on. Yeah, well, I remember, but watching the film, it didn't occur to me that they were different. Oh, that was the first thing I thought of when they, what's her name? And Amelda Staunton said, I'm not Grass. And I'm like, you're what? Why not? No, no, no. I didn't know. I couldn't remember which one was which, but I knew it was Flora, Fauna, and Merriweather. I mean, come on. What's up with that? So that was kind of weird. It's a little strange. But, you know, this whole thing is retcon, so whatever. Um, (laughs) So, Chad, tell us a little bit about this story, if you would, please. Okay. A beautiful, pure-hearted young woman, Maleficent has an idyllic life growing up in a peaceable forest kingdom until one day when an invading army threatens the harmony of the land. Maleficent rises to be the land's fiercest protector, but she ultimately suffers a ruthless betrayal an act that begins to turn her pure heart to stone. Bent on revenge, Maleficent faces a battle with the invading king's successor and, as a result, places a curse upon his newborn infant Aurora. As the child grows, Maleficent realizes that Aurora holds the peace to key, the key to peace in the kingdom and perhaps to Maleficent's true happiness as well. All right. Uh, so let's talk about this film, Chad. Um I mean, first of all, I, I really actually liked, kind of liked the whole approach to this, where the, the the from the outset, basically, I said, so you you think you know this story, but why don't we see if you really know this story, and yeah. you know, let's let's tell you what really happened, kind of thing, and then you you kind of find out why, uh, what the credibility of the storyteller is at the end, which I won't spoil, um, right? But. Uh, yeah, I, I really like this whole approach, and I, I, I'm really not quite understanding where all this criticism and harshness is coming from. It's not a, it, it's not a film that's going to like win an Oscar or anything, but it, I, I really enjoyed myself. I, I enjoyed yeah. following the story, and it's uh, ultimately uh, some of the problems that I had with the plot did bring it down from a four star. So, but so it's not quite up to a four star film, but that doesn't mean by any means that I did not enjoy myself. Yeah, same here. So you said it's been a while since you've seen the original um, uh, Sleeping Beauty. How, how long has it been? You've probably seen it more recently than I have. I have not seen it since I was, I don't know, 10 or 11? Uh, probably at least 10 years plus. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say 20 years for me. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I have it on VHS, but I, I don't know. I, I've owned a uh, DVD player for more than 10 years, so... Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I wanted to actually see uh, Sleeping Beauty before I saw this, which turns out I remember it well enough that it, the, the film works in, 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 in what it was trying to do with, ret- with the retcon, you know, and to say, <laughs> here, here's the, you know, here's the story as it actually is. And, and you don't have to be intimately familiar with, with Sleeping Beauty in order to enjoy this film. But, but I, no. I do feel like I wish I would have seen Sleeping Beauty recently so that I could really compare the, the differences, you know, obviously, especially toward the end, the, the, the end is quite different. Um, yeah. But, uh, I, I really, I really loved, uh, I really loved Angelina Jolie, frankly, as Maleficent, uh, th- this version of Maleficent, uh, that she's playing is not the evil, wicked, witch kind of Maleficent, at least not at first and not really at any part in the film. she, she certainly radiates more beauty than Maleficent ever did, where in, yeah. in the original, I would say Maleficent was kind of the evil witch, kind of, you know, very Disney-fied. Yeah, one, so like green skin. Yeah, yeah. And kind of one, one-dimensional one character. Yeah. So, 
Uh, oh. I'm not sure where she I gets. Mean, <laughs> those, sorry, are, go ahead. No, one, one more thing: are those cheekbones on Angelina Jolie digital or <laughs> makeup or prosthetic, I, or are those I'm hers? Assuming pros- I'm assuming prosthetics, but there were some angles that they showed her face where they oh, literally man. looked like I could cut my hand if I touched. Them. I know it was <laughs> <laughs> quite interesting. Um, so yeah, you you were trying to say something. Go ahead. I mean. Even from the earliest pictures, like set photos I saw of this, I knew that Angelina Jolie was a great fit for the role. She just looks the part. And I think if you can look, to a certain extent, if you can look the part well enough, you you can play the part. You know? Mm, I said to a a certain extent. Sure, sure. Um, But, I mean, she just really looked like she was into the character. Even from set photos that I saw two years ago, I think. I I, I don't know. Um, But uh, she's definitely the draw to this film. Yeah, uh, there are certain things that she brought to this character. Just just like that scene where, you know, she's she's been cast aside and she's been betrayed and she shows up to to do the deed that she's famous for doing in, in Sleeping Beauty, right? And right. She, you know, and she even does the the whole bit where the same the same way I remember it at least in the cartoon where she shows up she's well, well. And then <laughs> and then she puts a little twist on it, right? Instead of just playing it straight the way it was played in the cartoon, she flashes that kind of wicked, evil smile that's yeah. really disturbingly, <laughs> sickly sweet, you know? It yeah. was just like like those sorts of things are what sets um, Jolie's Maleficent and her acting of that apart from, I think, any any other actress that might have played this. Knowing, you know, kind of going into it, knowing what Maleficent was in the cartoon, you might not be necessarily inclined to play it quite the way that Jolie did. And uh, right. I think that really brings uh, a, something to the character. I, I mean, I really enjoyed that aspect. And, yeah. And, and really, you know, she 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 kind of is in character as Maleficent there. So that's the most like the Maleficent from the cartoon is that point at which she's cursing Aurora. Um, yeah, I but think so too. M- most of it, like the the parts before, were leading up to her being betrayed and becoming that, and then after we're seeing her regret that mistake and uh and you know i'm this is the thing i'm really into films as i mentioned in my review i'm I'm really into films for the story and you know disney is kind of abandoning this uh one note character villain uh style that they've had for so long you know think of cruella Deville, think of uh you know maleficent uh think of jafar from aladdin uh what are some other scar um, you know, very one note, one dimensional villains. And it's really, I think, um, uh, good in my opinion. And people are going to disagree with me on this, you know, especially Christians, I think, who are, I think, I know I have many who listen to this podcast, but I really like the two, you know, three dimensionality of the character of Maleficent. Um, yeah. where she, she's on a journey and she's, she, she is, as the film describes, both a villain and hero. And, I, you know, I think that's a that's a story that resonates with us as humans because all of humanity, all our story as, as a collective, you know, humanity is about redemption. And we're seeing her having made a terrible mistake and taking the path to redemption. Now, do you think she goes full on anti-hero or do you think she just fluctuates between hero and villain? No, I don't think she's ever anti-hero. I think she's a woman scorned, which is entirely different. Now, she does something that is very villainous. Right. Uh, she curses an innocent girl who had nothing to do with the betrayal, you know, but 
he, this is this is kind of the thing where all things you know work out for the greater good. Um, and and you know, as a Christian, I would say for the good of those who love and are called. You know, I could quote the whole Bible verse, but but in the right. in the context of the story, it's a little different. Where it's better for Aurora that she wasn't raised by that fool, King Stephen, right? Right. At least in this story, he's quite the fool. You know, he he betrayed the woman he was supposed to have loved and stole her wings and cut them off, which seems yeah. painful. Uh, and yeah, we'll get to that in a minute. But um, as far as on the side of Maleficent, yeah, you can totally empathize with why she did this. I, I don't I, I never thought of her as the villain. She was obviously the protagonist of the, of the story. Right, right. I mean, it's named after her. Right. Uh, but uh, I saw Ben Kaiser uh, yes. post on Twitter that that article about how this movie teaches children bad bad things because no, of I don't know. yeah I do not agree with that at all yeah I mean I remember him posting it before I saw the film and I saw the film and so I looked it up just before here and I, I really don't agree with a lot of that either I, I don't think she's really an antihero either because um, you know just using the example of Breaking Bad the main character is obviously an antihero you you sure. There, there are times you want to root for him, but there are definitely times that you should root against him. Yes. In fact, there's a certain point in the show where you should never be rooting for him. Um, and th- that's that's the nature of an antihero. He's not somebody that you just, I don't know, he, you can't really pick a side with them. Um, and I think with Maleficent here, she's never on that line where you don't know whether you should or shouldn't root for her. Pretty much the whole time you can root for her. She just has that one moment and then after that, she sort of finds the error of her ways, you know? Yeah, and, and it was really King Stefan that was the villain in the story. Where, yeah. And, and, and we can talk about that now. It, it was really my major dislike with this film. It was, it was the dislike that brought the story down is that I didn't buy his transition uh, yeah. Where he starts off as this innocent young boy who befriends uh, the fairy Maleficent, and they're they're fast friends, and they talk every day, and they play in the forest and whatever, and and uh, you know he's uh, you know and then as these things do, and as they show kind of the years passing, they fall in love or whatever. But then he goes off, and 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 they're literally in voiceover, we 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 get this in voiceover. But things change, and Stefan's you know thirst for power overcame him. It's like. Show, don't tell, you know, don't, right. I mean, and I never bought that transition. I just didn't buy it at all. Yeah. Greed, evil power, men. It's not that I can't, yada, yada. Yeah, I can't, it's not that I can't believe that wouldn't happen because that happens right, all right, the right, time. Right. It's that I didn't buy the transition from what Stefan was to what he became because we didn't see it and we were just told it. And here, accept this, take this and accept it and internalize it and, and make it your own. And, and it's our, it's our, it's our thing. It's what we're doing here. And this is how this is going to happen. So just buy it. Just, just accept it. You know, they right. wa- they wanted a gimme, and I, I didn't feel like at this point in the film, especially, I mean, this is very early in the film, uh, I, I didn't have a gimme for them. I didn't, you know, I wasn't invested enough to, to let them have that. If if it had been something where I was already, you know, it's like, because every, every plot has a bridge that you have to cross at some point where, okay, right. just just believe this. But we weren't, <laughs> at, we weren't at that point in the story yet. I was not ready to give them that. No, I, I definitely agree. I, I liked pretty much all of the opening of the film up to the point where Aurora uh, was born. I thought those are probably my favorite moments of the film really where was that opening scene where you, you see that change uh, in Maleficent as she ages and then is betrayed, you know? Yes. Uh, I, I really liked the way they approached that. I had some problems with the uh, growing Aurora growing up uh, oh, just for sure. in, in general, but 
that opening I thought was pretty darn great aside from what you're talking about here with Stefan. Yeah. That was the big thing in, in the first act of the film is buying that transition. Now, now once that transition happens, I think that Charlotte Copley, obviously, you know, a class, you know, really good actor and, and, you know, in, in a class of his own. And I think that he definitely elevates that role in a way that kind of could have come off as very uh, cheesy and, and, and terrible, but he really makes it, you know, something with it. Um, as you would expect from, from yeah. Charlotte Copley. Um, I liked his accent. Yes. It reminded me of uh, David Tennant, you know, uh, Barty Crouch Jr. and Goblet of Fire. Yes, yes. Hello, yeah. father. I didn't think <laughs> about that. That's the one quote I was thinking of the whole time, and his facial <laughs> structure is sort of similar to David Tennant. That's funny. That did not, it's funny how different people's minds work. <laughs> that did not cross my mind until you mentioned it, but now that you mentioned it, that's absolutely true. Is, is yeah. The, yeah, the Barty Crouch thing. He's <laughs> definitely got that going on in this film. Yeah. But he definitely brings something to that role that that uh, you know would that role could have easily come off as as very uh, and it almost did it was it was because he became so obsessed with Maleficent and uh, you know making sure he was ready to defend his kingdom against her and capture her and and you know the the whole plot device with the iron that we established early in the film and I, yeah. and I have to say I did feel like that was very obvious that they were establishing how uh, oh oh this is the device they're going to use later in the film when, when she burns right. <laughs> when she gets burnt on the ring it's like oh this is how they're going to capture her later in the film I just know it yeah. <laughs> it's like a little, they... little obvious there <laughs> how were, were you bothered at all by Imelda Stoughton as the the fairy very much uh, that was yeah. my other complaint is that the fairies, I, I know they were kind of bumbling idiots in the, in the, uh, in, in the cartoon, in the, in the Disney original cartoon film, but I, I never disliked them. I don't remember disliking them. And here I did not like them one little bit. They, they, they fought and they bickered and, and they weren't even, and that, that was my other major problem with this film is where were they while Aurora was growing up? We saw them take <laughs> yeah. her off into the woods and we never saw them again until she was 16. We literally, yeah. like, the one time we saw them, they were squabbling in a field, and Maleficent had to save Aurora from falling off the edge of a cliff. Yeah, I, I didn't like the way the, the pixies, apparently, uh, were portrayed at all in this film. Um, no. Uh, it, first off, uh, petty petty complaint aside, Umbridge as a fairy, uh, <laughs> it, just, it just weirded me out. <laughs> yeah, I didn't but, see uh, enough kittens around. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, they... I don't, they they were beyond just like bumbling, absent-minded, professor-ish types characters. They right. they were just like morons. Yeah, and, totally. And I don't know. I mean, they they give the excuse that they don't know how to raise a child. They've never done it before. Well, yeah, but I think it's not that complicated. You you feed a child. You, you don't feed the child uh, uh, an infant carrot sticks. No, no. I mean, <laughs> it's just like common sense kind of things. And I think that these characters should not have been beyond common sense. No, not at all. I, I really felt that was a disservice to the film. Uh, it was unfortunate. And, yeah. in, in, you know, they did, I, I didn't mind it so much, but I, it, it should be pointed out, they did change the way the curse worked, um, which they changed a lot of things later in the film, but this part had kind of stayed true to what Sleeping Beauty was, and yet it was a little different because in the in the in the Disney original, um, the first two fairies give their uh, blessings, right? Their their enchantments, and then uh -huh. as the third is getting ready to give hers, Maleficent appears and and gives the curse and says she will prick her finger on the spindle of a spinning wheel and die. You know that that famous line that Maleficent does. Uh -huh. And uh, so Maleficent actually cursed her to death at the age of 16. 
And so then the remaining fairy says, well, I can't undo what she's done, but I can make it so she doesn't die. She will just fall into a deep sleep. Well, here, uh-huh. Maleficent, actually, the curse is she will fall into a sleep like death. And right. then the, the, the third fairy never gave her, you know, act of blessing or whatever. So uh, they, they definitely changed that. And I, 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 I gave it to him, but I, it kind of annoyed me. Yeah, well, the whole reason was so uh, she could have that scene later where she tried to remove the curse because she has that line. Very good scene. Right. Yeah. She has that line about how no power on earth can stop it at this point. And so that obviously includes herself. And so that that was a pretty good scene and a pretty good inclusion, I think. But it it is a disservice to the pixie characters who I liked in the original Sleeping Beauty film. Sure. Yeah. They were they were likably bumbling, not not morons, as you so aptly put it. (laughs) Yeah, they were they were definitely morons in this film. And and at no point when they were on screen, not even in the opening of the film, when when uh, they're in the beginning and talking to Maleficent, did I ever like them ever. Uh, And and, and it was just like, just no, just no. Yeah. Yeah, Um, I'm I'm picturing the (laughs) grumpy cat. No. (laughs) (laughs) um okay so i had i mentioned having a little bit of a problem with uh the way maleficent and aurora interacted um there was just a weird morality switch there i think they they were trying to show that the transition was slower than it actually was, you know, because, okay. So Maleficent shows up at the house, sees that the, the pixies don't understand how to raise a child and basically starts taking care of her. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but we have to understand that she, she doesn't like this child yet. She's still a villain at this point, quote unquote. And, um, so they have that silly little scene where she's making it rain in the house just for yes. no reason. Just yep. like, Look that, at me still being villainous. This is villainy at, oh, at work. I, I didn't take it as villainy so much as just having sport. You know, I, I, I like that. I thought it was funny. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm trying <laughs> to think of the way I'm approaching it. See, you could approach it as her old self sort of still having fun. Yeah, that, that works. That was the way I, I saw it is at this yeah. point, it wasn't that she was, you know, making, it wasn't, she was being villainous is that she was just having a little bit of fun with the pixies. Yeah. Okay. That, that was how I, I took that scene and I, 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 I thought it was fun, I but, but you had a, you had a problem though in a larger sense with the way Aurora and um, Maleficent interacted. Is that what you're saying? Uh, I said that. I don't know if that's what I meant. So okay. if, I will keep thinking about it, but I, I don't think I really had, any huge issues. Okay. Cause I, I really did actually enjoy the, the, the whole interaction, the whole story. Um, even though I, I think that the fairies, the pixies should have been more involved in the story. Like we should have seen more of them and saw them learning how to be mothers or, or aunts or whatever they're supposed to be to, to Aurora. Yeah. But I think that the, the, they they really didn't want to take away. I mean, you could see what they were doing. I felt like it was a little bit of a misstep, but they didn't want to take away from the primary story, which is um, Maleficent's heart becoming attached to and and in learning to love Aurora. And yeah. uh, I really enjoyed the entire second act of this film, where she she gets to do that. You know, she she really and and then it culminates kind of with this trying to take back the curse you know she she wants to undo the curse and you know and and it's she can't and it was right. it was it was very heartbreaking yeah. I, I i thought that was very well done and and very well played by angelina jolie 
Yeah, and I really liked Elle Fanning as uh, Aurora as well. I did too, and and it, it it's weird because normally I would say it would almost seem like she doesn't have a lot of depth as a character, but there was something in the way that Elle Fanning portrayed this kind of wide-eyed uh, uh, wonderment, uh, which she was, you know, I, I think it was she was blessed with grace or whatever from from one of the Pixies or whatever, and and what was uh-huh. the other one? Um, uh, beauty, beauty and happiness or whatever. So yeah, I mean, it kind of made sense, but. Um, yeah, she, this is kind of this wide eyed wonderment that she had for the world, uh, really worked well for me. And especially, I think it gave, it did actually give her more dimension than it might have otherwise, because she is kind of a secondhand character. Like she's not a primary character. Maleficent is the primary character and she's only in the story so much as if it affects Maleficent, you know, we're not yeah. seeing her grow up day to day. And so I, I, I thought that brought kind of a, a dimension to the character that she might not otherwise have had just in the way that she she kind of looked at life. Yeah, I, I really liked her a lot more than I've ever liked her older sister as an actress. Dakota Fanning? I, yeah, I really don't like Dakota Fanning. But. I mean, she made a really good vampire. <laughs> <laughs> I, I haven't seen her in those. So this is just based on other films. I've seen her. So, yeah. so what have you seen Dakota Fanning in? I don't know that I've ever seen Elle Fanning in anything. Um, well, I've only seen her in We Bought a Zoo, the Elle Fanning. And she was okay in that. I mean, she has a sort of bit bit role. Let's see, Dakota Fanning. She was in The Cat in the Hat. Yay. <laughs> um, oh, Elle Fanning is in Super 8, which I still need to see. Uh, she was in War of the Worlds. You're talking about Dakota, right? Yeah, Dakota. Charlotte's Web. Oh, is that the live action Charlotte's Web? Yeah. Oh, let's see. And then, of course, all the Twilight films. Right. Uh, not all of them. Right. Just uh, three. The latter, latter three. Three of them. Three uh, of no, them. it's, not part, it's one. Uh, not part one. New Moon, Eclipse, and Breaking Dawn Part Two. Yes. Yeah. I think, let me see if this is the same Charlotte's Web that I'm thinking. Yeah, this is the live action Charlotte's Web. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, was, she must have been much younger here. Yeah, she she started really young. I in fact looking at her more recent films, I'm not familiar with any of them. So maybe she's improved. Yeah, I don't know that I've really seen her in anything. I mean, she was she was fine as uh as as Jane in the Twilight Saga. In fact, that was I don't know that I had a picture of what Jane was. Oh man, I'm revealing something about myself. <laughs> I, I think I already have on the show though. But anyway, yes, um she uh she definitely did that role well. Um I thought from from the way that the role was intended to be and, and written to be. Uh, so yeah, so and she is the sister of Al Fanning. We're talking about Dakota Fanning, but Al Fanning. I'm just, I'm scrolling through here. I don't think I've seen her in anything. Uh, and again, I, I do want to see Super Eight. That's on my my list to see, but I haven't seen it. And that would really be the only thing in here that I would have a chance to see her in. So yeah. I, I thought that she did a good job, and I'm I'm excited to see what else she uh, she might do. Yeah, I agree. Apparently she uh, was in the curious case of Benjamin Button, which I thought looked terrible. Really? I never saw that either. Yeah, I didn't either because it looked terrible. <laughs> I don't know. It won lots of Academy Awards or it was nominated at least. I know. I know. But it looked terrible. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so anyway, um, I think before we, we wind down, uh, we should certainly talk about the resolution. And in doing so, we're going we're gonna to spoil this film tremendously. Yeah. Yes. But I think it's definitely something we need to talk about. Because this is not this is not the ending that this is this is where the movie really strays from the source material. 
uh, yes. in a good way. Because as, as I said, they, they presented this film as, you know, you think you know this story, but you've been told the wrong, you, you know, you've been told this version of the story. It's been propaganda, basically. Right. <laughs> almost, they didn't say that, but that was almost kind of the, the feel, which I, I enjoyed. I thought that was fun. Uh, yeah. Because it was Disney that told us the original story, and now it's Disney telling us this story, right? Right. Um, I think it was a fun way. It was a good way to sort of dismiss the older film without just saying, or without just like going at it, you know? Yeah. And at the end, you know, the the narrator. Uh, we're our, we're in spoiler mode, so I'm going to reveal this. Be, you know, don't listen if you haven't seen the spoiler film. Spoiler bell has been rung. Yes. Um, you know, the narrator reveals herself to be Sleeping Beauty, and she says, you know, I should know. I'm Sleeping Beauty, you know. Uh, I, I know mm-hmm. that that, that uh, this story is the way, you know, it is. And and I know that Maleficent is not the evil person here. Um, right. Which I, I, I just thought this whole approach was, was really great. Um, and that, that is this. The, the curse is, right, is that she cannot be awoken from the sleep by anything other than true love's kiss. Now, obviously, we always think of this as a romantic kiss from Prince Charming or from some other male of the species to the female of the species, right, where right. it's it's a romantic love. But nothing about the curse said it had to be romantic. It just said it had to be true love. Right. And so you you get this really great performance from Angelina Jolie where she's kind of not unknown unbeknown to anybody else she's watching in in the shadows to see if this prince can awaken her beloved um uh her beloved Aurora. And uh the prince is reluctant and he's a nice guy and all that and everything and he's he's even a gentleman and doesn't want he's like what do you mean kiss her I barely know her you know and so finally he does and she doesn't wake up. Which is obviously this is you're like cuz cuz you're you're like thinking during the whole film how how is this film going to get to the point where the prince kisses her and wakes her up right and when the prince doesn't wake her up um and then you know it's like oh well she never had a chance to fall in love with anybody how's this going to work how's this gonna, i'm racking my brain going how is this going to work i don't know were you <laughs> were you doing the same thing or had you figured it uh, out i hadn't figured it out i i didn't know what was going to happen so so yeah i'm racking my brain going what how are they going to do this she hasn't had a chance she's she has met the prince and she talked to him once kind of the way that it's almost the way it was in the in the in the original so maybe this is the way it goes although it's a little weird they're kind of dragging him in and that's not the way it was in whatever (laughs) um and it didn't work and so you've got this great performance from angelina jolie where she's uh kind of not 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 weeping but but tearfully uh gives her a, a peck on the forehead and yes. she thinks that she's kissing her, you know, giving her one last peck on the forehead, you know, one one last loving gesture. Right. And then there's this awful moment. And, and I figured it out, like, literally seconds before the kiss, you know, before she kissed her. Yeah. Before, and I'm like, oh, <laughs> here. oh, of course. It doesn't have to be romantic love. And uh, but then it didn't work. It didn't seem to work right away. And you're like, oh, I don't know where they're going with this. <laughs> it was really great. It was really well done. It was the ending from Frozen. How so? Uh, did you see Frozen? Yes. Okay. Um, so you have spoilers Christoph. for Frozen, I assume. Yes, you have Kristoff bringing. Uh, well, it's sort of a little bit backwards. Kristoff yeah. brings the princess to the kingdom to be kissed by her true love. Turns out he's not her true love. He she ends up uh, sacrificing her life for her sister. Boom! True love sets warms her heart. Yeah, I suppose that's true. I suppose that's true. So, I mean, if I had any problem with the ending, it would just be that, whoa, I sort of just saw this in Frozen. I did not connect those dots. It was a really sweet moment, I thought. And it was a great scene for another great scene for Angelina Jolie. 
Yeah, um, and, and it's 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 not like they said the prince goes away and, and it's, you know has nothing to do with this because they even hinted in the end of the at the end of the film that there was certainly a future for her and the prince, right? Right. But it's just like they met each other once. What do you mean? There's no there's no true love here. I mean, yeah, you know, it seems that Disney has over the past few years sort of been trying to really emphasize the strong independent female character. They have, have much, much have to many people's chagrin. Right, Merida from Brave. Uh, regardless of what I think of the film. Overall, it, it does a really good job of setting up this strong, independent woman who uh, doesn't need a man. I mean, there's literally no romance in that film uh, between Merida or any other male character. Right. And then the same in Frozen. You have that message of, I mean, they, they set it up, obviously, in Frozen for oh, she's about to be uh, saved by her one true love. But uh then it's all of a sudden deviates off the path and oh true love between sisters that's a really sweet message and then the same thing here it's almost the the, the love of a mother to a daughter that's yes well that's exactly what it is it is and, exactly what it is um and it it is a really sweet message and i think it's it's good on disney for trying to sort of deviate from all their their past princess films where right. every single princess is saved by some man rushing in Right. Well, I think what they've done is it's a fine story, right? Where the where the right. prince comes and saves the princess or whatever that you know, Prince Charming here he is and he said it's a fine story, but it's been so overused, it's time to move on to other plot devices. And I thought this was a right. great way to do it. And they're using they're using kind of the what you're expecting to their advantage where they kind of surprise you. And I, you know, I, I there are people who have problems with this and I understand whatever. I kind of understand. I don't really understand. Cuz I thought this is a great story. And and again, it's not like the it's not like the prince doesn't have a future with the princess. So, yeah, um, yeah, I, I, I was very happy with with that and that that kind of plot twist. And it, it definitely caught me off guard. And it's it's kind of rare to completely catch me off guard like that in, in the way the story is going to especially since I watch so many films, I kind of understand the flow of story. And it's not that I have a problem with films right where, where I know what's coming or whatever, but it definitely this one definitely caught me completely off guard. Like I, literally it, 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 was, it was only like maybe a second before before Maleficent kissed her that i thought oh oh this is this is what's gonna happen so, yeah so yeah it was very good um it's always nice to be surprised yeah definitely so the, yeah the, the critics panning this film don't don't pay them any mind this this film is is not a four-star film but it's not it's not a a, a bad film no yeah. any, any stretch of the imagination I've, I've seen terms thrown around like a lumpy mess it has no substance and you know uh, it has no heart and, and, you know, just, just a mess of a film and it has no plot and not worthy of the plot. Angelina Jolie was great. She had the wasn't a story, blah, blah, blah. I, I just didn't find any of that to be true. No, and, I don't and think so either. I, I tweeted last night as I was writing my review. I was like, what is wrong? What is wrong with these critics? Like, like they, 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 they seem to revel in hating films. And I, I want to be, I arguably I am in some capacity, uh, not, although not not recognized very, by very many people, but I am arguably in some capacity a critic, and I I am and I want to be because I inherently want to love films and story. I love story, right? And inherently, I I want to be predisposed to like a film. That's not to say, I, obviously. I mean, I'm very critical of films when they're not done well, <laughs> as you well know. Um, yeah. But I just didn't find any reason to hate this film. I just couldn't yeah. find it. Yeah, I don't go to movies to be disappointed. I I go to be entertained, and I'm always very happy when that happens. And it happened here, so yeah, very much so. 
Well, let's let's go ahead and uh, wind down our review of this film by talking about our, our ending thoughts and our kind of our ratings. And uh, I've already alluded to the fact that I didn't rate it four stars, though I wanted to. And if, if the plot with King Stefan had been handled better, it would have been a four, four star film, I think. And 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 certainly, you know, maybe the Pixies contributed to my lowering to to three and a half stars. So I'm three at three and a half of five. And I highly recommend the film just based on on everything that we've talked about. Yeah, and uh, I actually give the same rating, uh, three and a half out of five stars for me as well. Is, is the universe um, imploding? Is this is is, is there a <laughs> uh, is there a fault line forming? Is what what's is a rip it, in the space time continuum? What is this? We give the film the same rating. I know we we see evenly. It's it's pretty great. <sighs> wow, I don't know what to say. <laughs> so you recommend the film? I do. I, I had a great time watching it, and I think uh, Angelina Jolie alone makes it worth it. You know. We say that sometimes. Uh, this actor makes it worth it. This actor makes it worth it. Angelina really does make it worth it this yeah, time around. Yeah, and, and I certainly don't say that because I'm a fan of Angelina Jolie. In fact, uh, there are films I can think of that I uh, would highly recommend you stay away from, like Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Terrible film. Awful. <laughs> um, and even Salt. Like, I wanted to like that film, but ugh, just tedious. Oof. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, – Wanted. Terrible, terrible film. <laughs> Awful. Maleficent is a pretty great – directorial debut yeah I for agree. mr stromberg unfortunately the critics don't agree because the tomato meter is at 50 percent. it's just i just don't understand well it's made a lot of money and so yeah although <laughs> if if the budget's to be believed what we know of the budget it hasn't made its money back yet which is not a good sign but you know and and we have edge of tomorrow coming out this weekend that's not going to help so we'll, we'll have to see I, i'd like to if i can remember to come back to this and just see where it sits in the box office eventually yeah. edge after of a few weeks Edge of Tomorrow and The Fault in Our Stars. Yeah. Do we have The Fault on our, uh, in Our Stars on the Trello board? I think we do, but I think we're putting it after Edge of Tomorrow. Yeah, it's it's actually it's after How to Train Your Dragon as well. Oh, which means I'm when, when would that be? Three weeks? Right. You're out for How to Train Your Dragon, which you are much uh, uh, sadness has overcome you about this movie. Yes, I know. But I, I will see it. Yeah. I'm very excited to see it. And then you'll be back for The Fault in Our Stars, and then you're going to be gone for like a whole month, right? I am. That's yeah. my London trip. So, And uh, Clark will be filling in for you. So, uh, All right. So highly recommend the film, uh, and uh, don't understand the critics, and it's three and a half out of five stars from both of us. So there you go. Uh, you have our audience. You have our seal of approval to go see this film. <laughs> Now, next week, we are going to be talking about Edge of Tomorrow, and that is, at least for now, going to be you and me. I don't know if anybody else is going to be joining us. I'm pulling up the Trello card. No, I uh, – what's his name? <laughs> what Mikey. Is Mikey, yes, thank you. He has not – he will usually comment his interest in the comments on a Trello card. Um, and so he has not commented his interest in Edge of Tomorrow, so I may contact him still. But it probably will just be you and me, but that's yeah. good. It's fun. I'm excited. I mean, I've been excited for this one for a while. So. Yes, it looks very good. I, I, and I again, say, along the same lines, I've heard some rumblings uh, from the from the pre pre screenings that it doesn't have a, like it has a great story, great story, great story. Whoa, how come it doesn't have an ending? You know that that's uh, that's what I've been hearing, but we'll see. I, again, like it could be like this where I just don't agree with the critics at all. Yeah, I don't know. The only buzz I've heard, I've only seen a few people tweet about it, uh, is that it's pretty great. So yeah, well, I think it's going to be great. I, I mean, I yeah. Think, you know, you've got you've got Tom Cruise in a sci-fi futuristic film. That's always great. I mean, think think Minority Report. Love that. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, and even Mission Impossible. He's good in that. Um, what's some other sci-fi stuff that Tom Cruise has been in? I really liked him, him in Oblivion. Yes, he was very good in Oblivion. And then you've got Emily Blunt, who had a great debut in, or for, not debut, but 
to me it was a debut because I had the first time I've seen her, but a great uh, performance in Looper. Yes, uh, in I fact, loved I, Looper I, as well. I would say that she was the strongest element in Looper, actually. Yeah, that's fair. So, and yeah. uh, uh, just to mention it, Edge of Tomorrow currently has an 89% on Rotten Tomatoes based on 54 reviews. Yeah, now the critics the critics are definitely loving the film uh, for the most part, even though I have heard rumblings about it not having like what happened to the ending sort of thing. But you know, we'll see. I, I want to judge this for myself, and, and we will get to see it very soon. It's Tuesday. Uh, probably won't get to see it till maybe Saturday. I, I rarely yeah. get to see a film on Thursday or Friday. So um, Yeah, I will likely be seeing both this and The Fault in Our Stars this weekend. So Yeah, and I am looking forward to somewhat to The Fault in Our Stars as well, although I hear it's a very depressing story. Yes, bring tissues. <laughs> but so, uh, so, was, book, so, so was The Book Thief, and I really loved that. I mean, I feel like this may be along the same lines in some ways. Not yes. obviously not the same story, but in emotional. I'm talking about the emotional kind of arc. It may feel the same as the book thief, from what I can gather. Yeah, it, it it'll there tears will be shed. Yeah. <laughs> That's basically the best I can give you. I imagine so. Uh, so anyway, I have I have friends who uh, who've told me that since the movie's coming out, they're like, yeah, the book was really great. You know, uh, you know, I cried all the way through it. <laughs> I was like, oh, great. <laughs> yeah, I read I read it in a night. It it was a very good read. Good, good, good. All right, Chad. Well, I think that brings us to the end of this episode. This is a shorter one, which is good. Yeah, just a little bit. Yeah. So uh, it's good to have you back. Although I'm good to be back. Kind of for, gonna be, for now. Yeah, for a week or two. <laughs> then you're gone, then you're back, and then you're gone again. It's crazy. Yes. All right, Chad. Well, uh, now that you're back and it's been a while, people may not remember where they can find you at. Where can they do that? Uh, my personal movie site is uh, chadlikesmovies.com. You can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash chad.hopkins and then on twitter.com at twitter.com slash chadadada, C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A. D-A-D-A-D-A. Yes. Yeah. Never tire of that joke. No. Well, hey, I avoided it for a long time. You can find me on Twitter. I am TJ Draper Pro. That's where I'm most active on the social medias. Uh, especially on keynote WWDC keynote day for Apple. <laughs> uh, so anyway, you might want to mute me on those days. I get a little carried away with myself. So find me on Twitter. Um, you can also uh, find me, of course, every day on moviebite.com. It's where I, I there's something posted every day. One or two items, three or four items, you know, whatever. There's reviews, there's podcasts, all kinds of things out there on moviebite.com. We got you. We got you covered for the you know the movies. So head on over to moviebyte.com. If you want to find uh, show notes for this episode, they are at moviebyte.com slash mbpodcast slash ninety one. That is where the show notes specific to this episode will be. You'll find all the things we talked about in the links there. If you want to read the source material and stuff and and keep up with us that way, uh, you may do that there. And of course, uh, great podcatchers like uh, Instacast or Downcast will pull in the show notes automatically as well. So uh, be sure to drop by iTunes and give us a rating. It really helps us out. Uh, just search for Movie Byte or the first results, M-O-V-I-E-B-Y-T-E, I should point out. And uh, that's it for this week. Tune in next week to hear us talk about a great, what appears to be a great film, Edge of Tomorrow. We'll catch you next week. Thanks, Chad. Yep.